Welcome everyone to Celtic Preacher episode 54 and today we're looking at the topic of avoidance or maybe you won't because maybe you'll switch off because you don't want to address something like avoidance. No, seriously. Why do we avoid things? Why do we avoid people? Well, we avoid people because they're usually trouble to us, right? Uh, why do we put things to the side and say, well, I'll attend to that later, but we can't quite get around to it? Well, it's avoidance, isn't it? And avoidance can be a heavy weight to carry around. This whole idea of avoiding, it's always in the back of your mind, either avoiding someone or something or a task. Well, eventually we're going to get to that topic this morning. But first of all, I'm going to start with looking at one of Jesus' most, probably his most famous parable, which is the the parable of the Good Samaritan. And this passage is found in, in Luke 10, Gospel Luke 10. Now, the story of the Good Samaritan, I don't know, well, let me just tell you what it is very briefly before I give you my comments on this. The story is, the parable is, that there's a, a man is traveling to Jericho and he is basically robbed and beaten up and left by the side of the road for dead and three people go past him and only one stops to help. The two others don't help. Now, that's basically the story. And there's something about this Good Samaritan story. I've always had a little bit trouble with it because I always want to take sides with the bad guys. I mean, the ones who pass by on the other side of the road. Because the story is that this man's robbed, he's beaten up, he's stripped of all his clothes and he's left for dead by the side of a ditch. The three men pass by, one's a priest, he sees him, But he doesn't stop and he doesn't go over to the other side. A second man walks past, that's the Levite. He's also from the priestly caste. He doesn't stop either. He works at the temple. He's got to go to church. He's busy, right? And then the third person, a man from Samaria, stops, gets off his horse, picks him up, bandages up this man's wounds, puts him on his horse, takes him to the inn, pays the innkeeper to look after him, and says, when I come back, I'll pay you whatever else I owe you. And of course, the hero of the story is the one who stops and puts him on his horse and takes him to the inn, right? And I always read this, I read this parable, and I think, if I was on, if I was driving on a highway alone at night in an unsafe, dangerous city, would I stop for a naked man lying by the side of the highway. Yeah, no, 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 no. Not in your life, not in a million years. I'd think it was an ambush or a trick or somebody tricking me to help, you know, so I'd stop the car. There's no way, there's no way I would do that. <sighs> yeah. For a lost dog, yeah, I might stop. For a naked man, no. No, I'm not going to stop for a naked man. <laughs> So I can, I can relate to, I can actually relate to the two who passed by on the other side. 
Maybe they had their reasons, right? Maybe they're scared. Maybe they're scared. That's why the priest goes past. He's like, oh, I'm not going to get involved here. This is a dangerous, this is a dangerous, a notoriously, actually it was a very dangerous road in Jesus' day, the road to Jericho. So on first reading, when you hear a pa- this parable, you, you might think, okay, it's, it's fairly easy and straightforward. It means that the one who stopped, the hero, uh, the one who was merciful and compassionate, that, that man is on the right track because it's, it's compassion and it's mercy. That's what's going to count in the long run. And that's the traditional reading. And actually, I think that's that's true. I think that is a good point from the parable. But, you know, these parables are like an onion. They're multi-layered. So the more you look at them and uh, the more you study them, different truths pop out each time you you read these stories. So I'm going to give you some other ways to look at this parable today. Parables usually tell us something that we don't know or they show us something that we don't understand or they show us something that we don't do. So first of all, I'm going to I'm going to set the context for you. I gave you just the brief overview overview, but I'm going to go a little bit deeper now and I'm going to give you the context of the parable. Now, the any time you read the scripture, you want to pay attention to the context. Otherwise, you can get the scripture to say whatever you want it to say. So context is really important. And the context is, in verse 25, this religious lawyer, I'm going to read it for you, tests Jesus with a question. So here we are, I'm reading the text now, Luke 10, 25. Just then a religious lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, what's written in the law? What's written in the scripture? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul, with all your strength and mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you've given me the right answer. Do this, and you will live. Okay, that's enough of the text now. So this gives us the the test is, this religious lawyer comes up to Jesus to test him. And he asks him the question, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now this is kind of the setup for the parable. Because basically he's asking a question that he already knows the answer to, right? He's a religious lawyer, what we would call like a clergy person, right? He already knows the answer. He studied the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. He's he's studied this his entire life. It's his job to know these sorts of answers to these kinds of questions, That's his job. He's an assistant to the priest. So whatever this well-known parable teaches us, it's more than acts of compassion and kindness are good, right? Because everybody knows this, right? We already know this. 
Verse 25, the lawyer came to, came to Jesus to test him, and the word test in the original language means to debate. So he wants to debate with him. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, meeting him on his own ground, says, okay, well, how do you, let's debate it. How do you read the scripture? How do you read the law? So when we, when we use the word law here, we're using the word as in religious law, not civil law. We're reading it the way that Jesus would have understood it. What's your interpretation of the scripture, Jesus says? And the lawyer said, well, love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's what I think is important. You're absolutely right, Jesus replied. That about sums it up. Do this and you will live. Verse 28. Now hold on a minute, the lawyer says, just before the conversations close down. The religious lawyer says, well, what do you mean? Who do you mean by neighbor? What do you mean by neighbor? What does that mean? So he's saying to Jesus, define neighbor. Define neighbor. What do, what do you mean? You're telling me I have to love my neighbor. Well, who is my neighbor? Who am I actually responsible for? What does it entail? Define the boundaries for me. So on the surface, he's asking, okay, who do I have to be good to? But underneath the question, he's wondering, well, who isn't my neighbor? Who can I ignore? And interestingly enough, Jesus didn't quote scripture to him because he already knows scripture, right? There's no point, actually. There's never any point. And in, in, wouldn't it be great if Christians could learn this? There's no point in quoting scripture to somebody who knows scripture to prove a point. It's all because it's all about interpretation, you see. Jesus didn't quote scripture to him. So he says, who's my neighbor? Instead, he tells him a parable. He gives him this, this story, the parable of what we have come to know as the good Samaritan. About this man who is robbed and beaten up and left naked by the side of the ditch. And... By the end of the parable, the Samaritan is the only one who's so moved by compassion that he stops to help him. And Jesus ends the parable by asking the lawyer, well, what do you think? Which of the three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robber? So Jesus doesn't tell him, he has to figure it out. And the lawyer can't actually say the word the Samaritans, the good one, because there was so much hatred and animosity between the ancient Jews and the ancient Samaritans in those days. There was so much racial, religious tension between these two groups. He can't quite say the word. All he says is, well, the, the one who showed mercy was the neighbor. The one who showed mercy. And that's right, Jesus said. That's what love looks like. Go and do it. Live this way. Live this way. It's like learn something from this Samaritan. Learn something from this Samaritan. Yeah, the one that you don't like. The one that you don't like, learn something from him. Which is actually a good place to pause here before I get to the, the main point. 
because this is a, a, an interesting thing that's worth considering. It's very difficult to learn something from someone you don't like. It's difficult to receive anything from people that you just don't care for. People that are annoying or exasperating or they're overly challenging or they're hurtful. You see, for an ancient Jew to learn anything from a Samaritan, it would be like us today. It would be like me saying, well, you know that difficult person in your life? Yeah, that one. You can learn something about yourself in that situation. This can help you grow up spiritually, emotionally. Yeah, the one who is so difficult. Now, it might show us all sorts of things that we might not necessarily want to, to see in ourselves, right? We might, we might find out we're more fearful than we thought we were or we're more defensive than we would care to be or we might find out we avoid or we get angry. I mean, it will show us our wounds, basically. When you're around people who are annoying or exasperating or challenging, they basically show us our wounds in the sense that the places where we still need some work and some healing. But I think it is worth mentioning that we can learn something about ourselves from the most um, unlikely people. That's one thing. I'll, I'll just put that out there for you to ponder. And then a second thing I noticed too in this text was it's interesting to just consider the Samaritan because the one who stopped and helped because in the context, in the biblical context, he's the one that knows all about rejection. He's the one in the story that knows what it's like to not fit in. He's the one who knows what it's like to be a second-class citizen, never quite good enough, shunned. They were shunned 2,000 years ago. Samaritans were avoided by the ancient Jews. And so it's worth noting that he never let that, that pain sour him. He never gave in to bitterness. And he didn't allow suffering to harden him which is, I think, unusual, you know? Because a natural response to rejection is to defend yourself and guard yourself. If you've been rejected in any way, you know, you can get very suspicious of people. And yet we see with the Samaritan, his personal suffering makes him even more compassionate than anyone else, more courageous, and he doesn't hold back getting involved. Now, I think that's kind of unusual because I think a more natural response is if you've, if you've suffered a lot or if you've been rejected a lot, is you, a more natural response is to just withdraw and turn inward and be cautious. But he doesn't hold back at all. I mean, another common response to suffering and rejection is, is to get even, of course. You, you know, we've all met people with a chip on their shoulder, right? Maybe something happened to them and they end up being angry their whole life. They're easily annoyed. They're easily tipped over. 
Yeah, so they go around with this whole idea of, you know, paying back. He never, the Samaritan never allowed his suffering to harden him. So he's really traveling the, the narrow way, Jesus called it, as opposed to the broad way. The broad way is the way that is the more common road. The narrow way would be Jesus' way because it's not quite as well-traveled. It's not as natural. So this Samaritan breaks the cycle of life as usual and he changes course. He does the unexpected. He chooses the narrow way, the less common path. He stops, he helps, and he's lifted up in the parable as an example of how to live in this world. So the parable ends with the instruction from Jesus, go and do likewise. Now, in order to apply the teaching to ourselves further, I mean, there's lots of applications here. This is, this is just giving even more things to think about. In order to apply it further, we need to do a little bit more self-reflection. The priest walked by on the other side of the road. And as I said in the beginning, maybe it's not so much that he's hard-hearted. Maybe he's just plain scared. Maybe he's just scared. Right? What do I avoid doing? Because I'm just plain scared. I think so much of so much of what we do, either consciously or subconsciously, is motivated by fear. This is why Jesus teaches all the time. He teaches us over and over again to learn how to be motivated by love. Now we're talking about love as in it's biblical understanding, not the clingy, needy, emotional feeling type that we can mistake for true love, okay? Clingy, needy, emotional feelings are, are nothing to do with the love that Jesus speaks about. Because the love that Jesus speaks about, and it's almost like we need another word for it because he called it agape, but we need another word in English for it because it's got nothing really to do with feeling. It's always to do with what is best, what is ultimately best for the other and what is ultimately best for me. So Jesus is teaching us here that we have to learn how to be motivated by God's love. What do I avoid doing? What do I pass by on the other, when, when I'm passing by on the other side of the road, what am I avoiding, right? Now, it's obviously not going to be some guy in the ditch, chances are, right? Chances are. There might be lots of other things I avoid. I might avoid allowing people to make their own decisions because I have an overwhelming need to help and direct. And my answers and my help is better, quite frankly, than anyone else's. Or I might avoid speaking the truth because it would cause conflict. So I'm just not going to say anything. Or I'll just say yes. Or I might avoid being generous in case I don't have enough. I'd like to help, but sorry. And it might not even be money, actually. What if it's about energy? I just don't have time. 
I just don't have any time to do that. Time's all about priority, isn't it? Isn't it interesting? We always have time for the things that we're truly interested in. We always have time for the people that we're truly interested in. I might avoid dealing with someone or something. I might pass by on the other side because, oh, it's just easier. And I'm worn out. I don't have the energy. Could be anything that we avoid. We could be avoiding anything. I've never really been good about talking things through. It makes me feel uncomfortable. And I don't want to start now. Avoidance. Avoidance. What we avoid teaches us something about ourselves. Because we often choose the path of least resistance. And the path of least resistance may not be the best thing. It may not be the best way for me or my family or my loved ones or my colleagues or my community or my country. I mean, it gets big, right? If we want to grow, if we want to grow emotionally, if we want to grow spiritually, we have to take on the stuff we avoid. We have to take it on. I mean, even simple things like spiritual practices, even things like self-care. You know, what do you do for, how do you keep yourself uh, on track spiritually, emotionally? Well, sometimes people pray. Sometimes they'll maybe read a, a devotion each day. They'll read a, a reading. Or they might read scripture. Or they might sit for 20 minutes. They might do some centering prayer. Right? All good, helpful things. Or they might take a walk by the ocean. Or they might hike on a mountain trail. Or they might like retreats, so you might write a song, right? Whatever you do to take care of yourself, that there's a high probability that you're taking the thing that comes easiest to you, right? How about choosing something that doesn't come easy? Something we're avoiding. Now, why would you deliberately choose something challenging? Why would you do that? Because, because, because when we, if we want to grow and change, if we want to be set free, and I'm talking about inner freedom here, if we want to be set free, there isn't any other way. I really, truly don't think there is any other way because avoidance always holds us back in some way. Avoidance is such a heavy weight because it's always on the back of our minds, right? Whatever it is we're avoiding, it's, it's a weight that we end up carrying because it's always in the back of our mind. And it keeps coming to the forefront of our mind. Oh, I really should make that call. I really should send that card. I should give that money away. I need to make this change. I should begin again. I should complete this task. Yeah. Avoidance hurts us. Avoidance hurts us. When we deliberately pass by on the other side of the road, for whatever reason, it ends up hurting us. And there's the prayer and there's the heart cry. Help me to move 
toward that which I avoid. It's like, God, I'm, I'm really needing help with this one. Help me to walk over to the other side. Help me to walk over to the other side and be like the Samaritan and face things, face my fear, whatever it would be. Help me to just take the steps that I need that I might walk into freedom. Well, thank you for joining me. Join with me again next week for another episode.